Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. And mention in the book Idris, indeed, he was a truthful man and the Prophet. Respected brothers and sisters, dearest viewers, wherever you may be, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh. From Adam alayhi salam to Muhammad, peace be upon him and his family, continuing on this journey to seek lessons from the lives of the prophets of Allah mentioned in the Quran in order to apply them into our lives today. Over the past few nights, we've been looking at Prophet Adam alayhi salam and we looked at Prophet Sheath alayhi salam. If you do want to go back and watch those episodes to see what we're doing, then you can go back on the Facebook or the YouTube channel of Imam Hussein TV3 and inshallah they will be uploaded there. But if you're tuning in and following us on this journey, on this Ramadan special, then you can watch us on Roku, Jadu, or even the live stream on YouTube, Facebook, and your iOS and Android devices. Tonight, inshallah, we're looking at a Prophet of Allah who is mentioned only a few times in the Quran. In chapter 19, verse 56, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, وَذْكُرْ فِي الْكِتَابِ إِدْرِيسِ إِنَّهُ كَانَ صِدِّيقًا نَبِيًّا Now, Prophet Idris alayhi salam is hardly mentioned in the Qur'an. As, I, as I'm sure you, the viewers, and myself are very intrigued and want to learn more about Prophet Idris alayhi salam. But before we do that, I'd like to give a special thank you and a special shout out to our dear viewers from Uganda, from the Philippines, from Oman, for your lovely continuous messages coming in, in abundance, to the Sayyid and to myself and the studio. But the life of Prophet Idris alayhi salam with Dr. Sayyid Ammar Naqshawani. Sayyidna, assalamu alaykum. Wa alaykum assalam wa rahmatullah. How are you doing today? Very well, thanks. Very Alhamdulillah. well. Alhamdulillah. Now, Sayyidna, straight into it. As I mentioned before, there's only a couple of references to Prophet Idris alayhi salam. Uh, one being uh, chapter 19, verse 56. وَاذْكُرْ فِي الْكِتَابِ إِدْرِيسِ إِنَّهُ كَانَ صَدِّيقًا نَبِيًّا And also in chapter 21, verse 85. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وَإِسْمَاعِيلَ وَإِدْرِيسَ وَذَا الْكِفْلِ كُلٌّ مِّنَ الصَّابِرِينَ and mention Ishmael and Idris and mm. Dilkif. Mm. All were of the patient. How do you reconstruct a biography of such a Prophet who's seen <clears throat> as one of the most important Prophets in Islam with such few verses? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. An important Prophet in Islam and also in Christianity and Judaism. You know, um, these religions all revere Idris alayhi salam and you normally hear the name Enoch mm -hmm. as the name of Prophet Idris alayhi salam according to certain scholars of religion. And you're absolutely right Minhal, how do you reconstruct the biography of a Prophet, peace be upon his family, who's mentioned only twice in the Quran. You see in, in a few nights when we look at Nabi Musa alayhi salam, Nabi Musa it's quite easy to reconstruct his biography. Because Nabi Musa is mentioned so often in the Holy Quran. The most mentioned Prophet of God is Nabi Musa alayhi salam. But Nabi Idris, like you mentioned, is mentioned in Surah 19 of the Quran, Surah Maryam. He's mentioned Surah 21 of the Holy Quran, Surah Al-Anbiya. And the mentioning is, is, you know, it's just mentioning by a passing. You know, remember this truthful man who was, um, you know, taken to a high lofty uh, position. Um, and also a mentioning of him alongside other prophets of Allah. And what we therefore have to do, not like there isn't enough in those verses, it's still great to talk about what is the meaning of a Sadiq, what is Makan and Aliyah, that's still, you know, areas of discussion which we'll come to. Uh, but the world of Hadith, and no doubt the Hadiths of the Imams of Ahlul Bayt, as I've mentioned on numerous occasions, I'll continue to mention, throughout this series, nobody is able to explain to you the lives of the Prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like the Imams of Ahlul Bayt There are so many traditions from the Imams of Ahlul Bayt where they tell us why he was named Idris, where they tell us about where he lived, where they tell us, for example, about his relationship with the, with the pagans of his time, his relationship with the believers of his time, 
where they tell us, for example, about his relationship with the scriptures that God sent down upon him. And that's why I'm indebted. You know, there are tafasir such as Majma' al-Bayan, tafasir which provide you with unbelievable amount of traditions from Imam al-Baqir, Imam al-Sadiq Because you know, when you're doing these, um, you know, when you have a tafsir of the Holy Quran, you can either have tafsir bil-ma'thur or tafsir bil-ra'i. Tafsir bil-ma'thur is when a person uses the traditions of the Ahl al-Bayt, to be able to reconstruct the biographies of these prophets. It's easy to reconstruct Ibrahim. It's easy to reconstruct Musa. But it's not that easy to reconstruct Idris. Mm -hmm. And really we're indebted to Ahlul Bayt I must at the same time also mention that we're indebted to uh, the Bible. I think, you know, Genesis chapter 5 um, is helpful in trying to understand the period between Adam, Seth and Enoch. Uh, so there are other sources which we can't discount completely. I know, you know, Muslims believe that the Bible we have today is not the exact Bible that was revealed uh, unto Jesus, son of Mary, but it doesn't mean we can discount the whole Bible. Nor can we discount the Torah and the fact that the Torah has sections about writings, but also sections about mm -hmm. the lives of the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm -hmm. So when we bring them all together, I think we're able to reconstruct an understanding of the biography of Nabi Idris alayhi salam. Now, there's a mention of a name in narrations. Um, Mahlail. Yeah. Now with Mahlail, there's in the narration there's clearly a movement of a prophetic message from the Hijaz Mecca area towards Babel. Yeah. And Iraq is then seen as the cradle of civilization from then. What are your thoughts on that? When we're trying to reconstruct the period between Nabi Sheath and Nabi Idris alayhi salam. So remember, there's, there's, there's three main prophets you talk about before Nabi Nuh. Mm -hmm. And that is Nabi Adam, Nabi Sheath, Nabi Idris. So before you get to Nabi Nuh or Noah, you discuss these personalities. And what we see is that between Nabi Sheath, Nabi Sheath's successor is his son by the name of Enos or Enosh. Mm -hmm. And Enosh's successor is Qinan. Qinan's mm -hmm. successor is Mehlail. Okay. Mehlail's successor is Yarid. Many of you would have heard of the famous actor Yarid Leto. Yes, Yarid or Jared. And yep. then after him, you have who? You have Nabi Idris alayhi salam. So what you have with Mehlail, Mehlail is known to have been a prophet who's gone to the area of Babel. Mm. Now, Babylon firstly indicates to us we're moving from the area of the Hijaz and, you know, the mountain of Abi Qubais and that whole area, we're now going towards the land of Iraq. And the land of Iraq truly is a cradle of civilization. You see, there are certain countries in the world today, they have no heritage whatsoever. Mm -hmm. They're 300 years old. They, they, they've got no civilization which they can be proud of. Um, you know, at most, you know, they might refer to a couple of wars they've been victorious in. When you're looking at Iraq, when you're looking at India, when you're looking at Africa, you're looking at cradles of civilizations. You're looking at where prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala walked. Mm -hmm. And what you have with Babel, Babel is very influential in the Quran. I think it's, Babel is one of the few cities, one of the few countries, uh, areas which are mentioned within the Holy Quran. Mm -hmm. If I were to ask you, Minhal, and I, I hope spot. that you have the answer. And if you don't have the answer, I'm sure I'll find a way. But which prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which prophet, which angels, is their story mentioned about magic in a certain area? Which prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, where Babel is mentioned? We're going to come to those prophets later. Prophet Sulaiman, Ahsant. Prophet Sulaiman, alayhi salam, you find that Prophet Sulaiman, Harut, Marut, and Babel. Yeah. Babel is one of the few areas you could say in the world today which is mentioned in the Quran. Mm -hmm. yeah, in Surah Al-Baqarah, you have the mentioning of Babel. Yeah. Now, this is a shout out to the people of Babel, wonderful people. Um, that, you know, they're, they're proud of the gardens of Babylon. Yeah. They're proud that it's a cradle of civilization. So what we have now is a movement from the Hijaz area, from the Mecca area, towards Babel, and slowly from Babel towards Kufa. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, Kufa becomes a central area for the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And notably, with Prophet Idris alayhi salam. Now, Prophet Idris moving towards, you said we're moving from Babel towards Kufa. 
Did Prophet Idris live in Kufa and if he did, where? Prophet Idris lived in Kufa. He's known to have also lived in Egypt. He's known to have lived in Bible according mm. to different sources. But he settles in the land of Kufa. And that's why I've always said, don't attack the area of Kufa. Mm. Every city on earth has seen good and bad. But sometimes we shoot ourselves in the foot by always saying, Ahlul Kufa, Ahlul Kufa are the worst people. The people of Kufa should not be trusted. Yeah. The people of Kufa, there were good amongst them, there were bad amongst them. There were great personalities who may have originally been from Yemen but lived most of their lives in Kufa, such as Kumail bin Ziyad and such as Malik al Ashtar. Mm -hmm. Muslim bin Awsajah, Habib bin Madahir, Hani bin Urwa, Uhani bin Urwa, all of these are from Kufa. Yeah. Kufa is where Imam Ali السلام, establishes his government. Kufa is where Imam Al Mahdi Sharif establishes and will be a residence for him. Mm -hmm. Kufa becomes a central home for Nabi Idris. Mm -hmm. And if you go within Kufa, there is that landmark yeah. that is still there until today. May Allah bless our viewers that they're able to do the ziyarah of not just Masjid Al Kufa, but Masjid Al Sahla. Masjid al-Sahla is where Nabi Idris السلام, was known to have lived. Mm. And okay. that's why there are many maqamat in Masjid al-Sahla where you honor prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to live in that area because Nabi Idris السلام, had lived there. Because they had seen also later you find Nabi Nuh السلام, goes towards there. Because Nabi Nuh we mentioned is buried next to who? Next to uh, Imam Ali Imam salam. Ali alayhi salam. And Imam Ali salam, when he was killed, was killed in which area? In which mosque was Imam Ali struck? Masjid al-Kufa. So therefore many Christians in particular used to love inhabiting the area of Kufa. Mm -hmm. So Nabi Idris alayhi salam, lived where? Masjid al-Sahla. Okay. Yeah. Now, we sometimes neglect naming. Why was Masjid al-Sahla called Masjid al-Sahla? Yeah, it's an interesting question. You know, Masjid al-Sahla has this profound position uh, in Islamic history. Mm. Um, it's actually, one, according to some maraja, it's one of the places where you have the option of praying full or praying qasr. Wow. Or shortening your prayers. Because, you know, there are normally some mosques where irrespective of how long you're staying in the area, you, can, you have the option of praying full or qasr. For example, Masjid al-Haram. Mm -hmm. For example, Masjid al-Nabawi. For example, the area around the grave of Imam al-Hussein alayhi salam. And some of the ulama mention alongside Masjid al-Kufa that in Masjid al-Sahla you can have the option of praying full with higher rewards or you're praying qasr. Now Masjid al-Sahla, there is difference of opinion why it was called Sahla. Mm -hmm. Let me, it suffice for me to mention a couple of opinions. Okay. One opinion as to why Masjid al-Sahla was known as Sahla was because in Arabic, when something is easy, what's the word? Sahl. Sahl. Sahla, therefore, because of the ease at which your dua is accepted. Subhanallah. Wow. That if you want to see a place where your dua is accepted, so easily by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Masjid al-Sahla. Now, dua being accepted has conditions as well. Of course. I wish I was in Masjid al-Sahla tonight to pray for Liverpool to win the Premiership tomorrow. <laughs> but alas, we are not in those holy surroundings of Masjid al-Sahla. Yeah. Otherwise, the ease at which Masjid al-Sahla, the dua is accepted, maybe a miracle could happen in Brighton. But what you have is, when you want a dua to be accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you want to ensure, number one, that you remember there are certain sins that block one's dua. Yeah. Don't ask Allah for something when you are sinning and disobeying Him on other areas. Allahumma dua. Forgive me those sins that block my dua. Mm -hmm. Secondly, try and shed a tear when you're reading a dua. Yeah. Thirdly, salawat on Muhammad. And his family. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad before you recite the dua. So you can say, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad. Allahumma niyasaluka mujibati rahmatik. Salawat is fundamental before you begin. Fourthly, pray for others before you pray for yourself. 
So therefore, one opinion on Masjid al-Sahla is that Masjid al-Sahla, because of the ease at which dua is accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it was called Sahla. Another opinion is that the architect behind Masjid al-Sahla was known as Suhail. Okay. Our Indo-Pak brothers, many of them uh, named their son Suhail. Suhail was also a famous Arab name. Mm -hmm. Suhail bin Amr, if my memory serves me correct, was the person who conducted the Hudaybiyah Treaty in its beginning with the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and his family. So Suhail was the architect. Banu Dhafar were the Ansar, they were part of the Ansar of Imam Ali who were involved in the construction, but the architect was Suhail. Mm -hmm. And so some called it Sahla for that reason. So therefore, what do we have? We have with that reasoning that most probably the ease at which one's dua is accepted. And we pray that everybody is able to visit Nabi Idris's house in Sahla. Inshallah. Inshallah. Yeah. Now, Sayyidina, Masjid is Sahla. Every, as we know, every Tuesday in Iraq, the Shia community all go to uh, Masjid is Sahla, the ones who go, the ones who don't. Now, people go on Ziyara to Masjid is Sahla. How important is this for our children's futures? Ziyar is fundamental for our children's futures. Mm. And them being acquainted with where Nabi Idris prayed, where, you know, Khidr was, where Moses was, where Imam Ali is, where Nabi Adam is, where is Nabi... This is the best education you could ever give your sons and daughters. Other religions always ensure that some period in the life of their kids, they go back to their centers of origin or their centers of heritage. Mm -hmm. And I think in our communities, we have to do this as well. It's a shame if a family has done all the resorts in this world but has not gone together to ziyara of Ahlul Bayt yeah. and the ziyara of these sites. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you can get to Masjid al-Sahla, and remember Masjid al-Sahla is one of these places where because it's the home of the Imam or the center of the government of the Imam when the Imam returns, many believe that they are able to witness in one way or the other the Imam in front of them. Mm -hmm. You may not recognize him, but you can certainly feel the breeze of the Imam. Yeah. And on that Tuesday, the people of Iraq gather together in Majd al-Sahla. And when you go to Majd al-Sahla, you find that when you're reading the A'mal of Majd al-Sahla, it says, this is the dua for Nabi Idris. Yeah. This is the dua for the other NBA. So Nabi Idris establishes Majd al-Sahla as the central base for all the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm. So I recommend all the viewers, and we have viewers worldwide, yeah. go on Ziyara, go to the land of Kufa, and try and visit Majd al-Kufa and Majd al-Sahla so you could see and trace the footsteps of where the prophets of Allah used to walk. Ahsan. Now, going back to Prophet Idris, I like, I like to ask about the meanings of names and everything. So where does the name Idris come from? And what lessons can we learn from his name today? Break down the name Idris for me. Which words, how many words can you come up with? You teach at a school? Yeah. What school in Arabic? What school? What school in Arabic? The word school Dars. in Arabic. Dars. School in Arabic is oh, madrasa. So, so you have madrasa. You have dirasa. You have dars. Dars. Tadris. All of it goes to show us that his name came from his love for knowledge and education and learning. Mm-hmm. Break down the name Idris. Dirasa, Darasa, Tadris, Madrasa. He used to have a love of learning about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's creation. Yeah. He used to reflect on Allah's creation. And he used to love learning and try and establish and teach. You know, we're indebted when we talk of mathematics, astronomy, logic, yeah. philosophy. All of these were indebted to Nabi Idris alayhi salam. Nabi Idris is known as the first person who taught people how to write. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, and there, there are many who don't reflect on this, you know, reading and writing. And remember, we are the religion who the first word to be revealed to our prophet was Iqra, yeah. read. And in some cases, we've become the community, la naqra, who doesn't read, mm -hmm. la taqra, doesn't read at all. 
Nabi Idris begins this movement from the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala where dirasa, a madrasa, and tadris becomes pivotal in their life. Mm -hmm. You know, I see a lot of our youth in the world today, they love listening to lectures, they love um, going to programs to learn. But there's others who will spend the whole day on their phone playing games. Yeah. There's others who wouldn't pick up a whole book the whole year. And this is in sharp contrast to the ethos of the prophets begun with the prophet named after Dirasa and Tadris. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nabi Idris salam, would love sitting with those around him, teaching them about the heavens, about the earth, sciences, mathematics, about the heritage of man. People would come from far and wide. Mm and they'd want to learn from him. Yeah. And I think this is fundamental that we become the community of Iqra again. Look at your house, do you have a bookshelf? In that bookshelf, how many books do you have in your native language? How many books can you have in English? There are many great publishers now in the English. You look at the Hujjat bookshop in Stanmore Mosque, brilliant book collection. You look at, for example, the bookshop outside the Islamic Center and Maida Vale, very good book collection. You look at Al-Murtada Bookstore, very good book collection. You look at our brother Salim Bimji who has worked in translating so many books out there. Mm -hmm. You look at our brother Sheikh Murtada Bandali, Sheikh Salim Bimji, all of them have worked their socks off to ensure. You look at the Tabligh in Dar al-Salam in Tanzania, the Tabligh work that has been done by brothers Mahbub Somji and others to work hard to ensure that books are published. You look at the books that have been published by Bilal or yeah. by the Ibrahim Trust, so many different organizations have worked since the 70s to ensure that books are translated. So there has to be a movement of dirasa and tadris. Yeah. But that was the base of his life. Yeah, I think, I think, you know, knowledge is key and we need to stress upon that more. But I want to touch on something you mentioned. You mentioned that we're indebted to Prophet Idris in regards to mathematics, science, astronomy. I want to focus on astronomy for a second. Because he was the first to use the pen to write about astronomy, if I'm correct. Do you feel our understanding of the cosmos has declined when in the past our houses used to teach the actual subject? I, th I think you have a point that Hausa now is, is, um, is in the direction of you know, jurisprudence, principles mm. of jurisprudence, trying to understand law and the development of law. Whereas you're looking at the likes of Khawaja, Nasruddin, Al-Tusi, yeah. you know, these were polymaths where you would be able to learn about astronomy, you'd be able to learn about botany, about, you know, geology, the natural sciences, the arts, the humanities. You know, Hausa now is very much, you know, confined to the study of law. Mm -hmm. um, Sharia and fiqh, God's law and man's understanding of what could be God's law, especially in the period of the works of those um, scholars um, after the occultation. However, when you're looking at the lives of the prophets, there was a yearning to understand the cosmos, the order of the universe. Mm -hmm. There are many discussions about the planets, the order of the planets. Mm -hmm. Now, our only discussion these days about the cosmos comes in Shah Ramadan. Have you seen the moon? Is the moon sighted? Yeah. Has Shah Ramadan begun? Is it Eid? What's yeah. Eid? When's Eid? Can we celebrate Eid? That's what we've limited it to. Mm -hmm. And I certainly believe that ast astronomy and even going to the world of astrology, I believe astrology is a neglected science which should come back. You know, maths, physics, all of these used to be in our houses and our seminaries where people were able to grow. Mm -hmm. Their mind would be the sharpest. We had scholars up until 60s and 70s in the house of Najaf who were masters in mathematics and physics. Um, it would sharpen the mind and you'd be up to date with the world of nature. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, Nabi used to love teaching astronomy. Mm -hmm. You know, let there be an awareness of the stars and the skies and the order of the universe and the movements of the planets. You know, that was, that was part of the, the beauty and the base of the teachings of Nabi Idris. And I, I completely agree with you, Minhal, that there needs to be a return and a reflection at least on the world of astronomy and other sciences.
mm-hmm. in the political and the social sciences yeah. uh, within our seminaries as well. But is there any you know reality for astrology? Astrology? Yeah. I think, look, uh, what's your star sign? Leo. Leo. You're clearly a Leo. You know, you're very bossy behind the scenes. <laughs> you're very commanding. But you know, Leos. Their exterior may be strong, but they have soft hearts. You know, I'm a Libra, you know, which is the best star sign out there. And, um, and, and, you know, I I certainly believe you read some of those profiles and you're like, that's quite me, you know. Mm. So I think there's space for that. Mm -hmm. Listen, you always see in the Islamic calendar, there's something about, you know, on this particular day, don't get married and, you know, scorpions. And that Scorpio period. So I think there's a reality there. The Imams of Ahlul Bayt have said, well, it may not be infallible who's telling you, um, you know, you're living in London, someone might give you an advice about your uh, astrology or cosmology and so on. But I think there's some reality there. Now, with uh, Prophet Idris's love for teaching astrology, did he earn an income through that? Or did he... No, no, he earned an income. Well, I I hope I say this in... uh, You know, I'm just going to give an example. Prophet Idris was like the Gucci of his time. Okay, okay. Um... He was uh, a tailor. Wow. Yeah. So. Um, Making that fine. Now. And you know, imagine, imagine someone in a Muslim family today tells their parents, "I want to be a tailor," and parents are like, "La, doctor, you know, you have to be a doctor, or you have to be a dentist, or whatever." And and Prophet Idris alayhi salam was a tailor. He was the first to teach. Remember, the world's not the biggest world at you know that stage, mm-hmm. you know. But he was the first. To t- People used to live with, uh, or they used to wear. Uh, clothing made unstitched clothing uh, mm. from animals and he's the first one to teach them about how to stitch mm-hmm. so Messrs Gucci and Dolce and Gabbana and the rest of them are all indebted to Prophet Idris alayhi salam I don't think they ever thought they'll be mentioned alongside Prophet Idris and I'm not sure Prophet Idris is happy to be mentioned alongside them but he was a tailor yeah and he used to earn his living by stitching clothing in Masjid al-Sahla okay if people wanted clothing and there's no harm you know Nabi Idris being a tailor, later we're going to see prophets who are shepherds, prophets who are carpenters, prophets who used to be able to make their income from, from metals and selling them. There's no harm in earning a lawful living. As the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him and his family, said that there are 70 levels of worship. And the first of them is to earn a lawful living. Now, should prophets work and earn, since they're the prophets of Allah, you know, they could easily just ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for anything. And the dua of an infallible does not get rejected. Mm. Should they work and earn or should they just have everything delivered to them? Well, they would say there is nothing more beloved to Allah than seeing that hand that has worked tirelessly. Mm-hmm. And there are times I remember when the Imams of Ahlul Bayt were seen working in the fields on a hot day. And someone would be like, Mawlana, you're my Imam. Yeah. And you're working on this hot day. You're meant to be taking a break. You're meant to be taking a rest. Mm-hmm. He said, if I die in the state, I die in a state of ibadah. Because to earn a lawful living is to die in a state of worship. Mm-hmm. And secondly, I'm not begging anybody. Mm-hmm. One of the worst things, and we, may, uh, we don't want to wish it on anyone, is to beg. But if you're earning your lawful living, you put bread on the table for your family, then that is a form of ibadah. I said to Now, just before we go on a break... Um, just want to touch touch upon the state of the people of Prophet Idris, the community around him. What was the state of them that led him to begin his mission? I, I think they had um, they had been steeped in a number of sins, which normally you associate with the beginning of a prophetic mission. Mm-hmm. The first of them would be. Uh, polytheism um, it become a, a pagan community humans were being deified you know we mentioned earlier about Qinan and about you know the likes of Yarid and the likes of Mehla Il. you know they when you start seeing these great personalities and especially when we come to Nabi Nuh yeah Nabi Nuh salam, you find that the people who had come before him were now there were statues made of them and people were worshiping them and Qabil's descendants yeah. were firm in ensuring that alcohol and adultery became a norm. You know, alcohol was being drunk everywhere. Adulterous relationships were seen everywhere. Polytheism was rife. 
And so what begins to happen is that the society begins to be destroyed. Now, there are a few people who leave the pagan way to follow Nabi uh, Idris salam. There are a few. But you have a king at the time as well where he is adamant that pagan thought should be what flourishes mm -hmm. and has an oppressive streak to him. Mm -hmm. And it's that oppressive streak that results in one of the most famous encounters, which we'll come to shortly, between Nabi Idris and the king of his time. Ahsan saying, uh, coming to that shortly, we'll leave the viewers waiting and eager to find out the story and the encounter between Prophet Idris salam and the king of his time. Do stay tuned after the break, part two, where we'll be taking in your questions and continuing the discussion about Prophet Idris salam and the lessons we can derive from his life and apply into our lives today. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh Respected brothers and sisters and dear viewers Welcome back to the second part of uh, this Ramadan special With Dr. Sayyid Aman Naqshawani As we discuss the life of Prophet Idris alayhi salam So Sayyidna, you know before the break we were discussing uh, Prophet Idris Where he's mentioned in the Quran, um, his career And you touched upon the king of his time And the children of Qabil Now there's one major incident that stands out with uh, Prophet Idris and the king of his time. What exactly happens? Yeah, you know, in the Quran you have stories and in the world of hadith of kings. In some cases they were kings who were just. Mm -hmm. In other cases they were kings who were oppressive. This king was a pagan king. He was not following the path of monotheism that had been established by Nabi Sheith, by Nabi Adam salam. Rather, he was following the path established by Qabil and the descendants of Qabil of pagan worship and so on. Yeah. And this king used to listen to his wife's advice on many areas. But there was still a sort of reverence for Nabi Idris salam in that general area, that Nabi Idris is a man of respect, even if we don't believe in him as a man of God. And you'll see this throughout the stories of the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that you'll always find that they have a high level of respect before they begin or announce a mission. They're always known as a sadiq, uh, they're known as an ameen, they're known as somebody... Uh, who has a very high reputation. Because there's no way that you can begin to say anything of a religious precept or a religious command if there are black dots on your CV. Of course not, yeah. If you have black dots on your resume, for example, there's no way that you are able to say that, you know, people should do this or people should do that. People will say, well, you're not somebody to talk about this. This king would go out into his community and, you know, while going out and journeying out into the community... He would, you know, talk to the people, appreciate what the people are, are doing, what the people are going through. And he had heard murmurs that there were people who had left his path and had gone on the path of uh, Nabi, Idri Nabi Idris salam. But he didn't really take much notice of this. He then came across a particular house with fields, with wonderful, you know, lake surrounding it mm -hmm. and he was enchanted by it now as a king of a land even if you've inherited it the main attribute that you should have is justice yep you know so he approaches the person who owns the house and he says to him how much will it cost for me if i want to 
uh, buy this house. I love this house. I want it. And the person turned around and said, with all due respect, this is my home. And I don't really want anybody um, to buy it at this stage. Something very normal. You know, any, any law of any country should allow a person's mm -hmm. property and honor and intellect to yep. be protected. And this is his property. The king said to him, listen, I'll pay you whatever you want. You know, there's no limit to how much I'm ready to pay you. Mm. So tell me that amount. And the person said, listen, this is not something me and my family want to sell. We're happy where we are. The kids are happy. And we prefer that nobody buys this house. So the king left. When the king left, the wife met him. The queen met him. Mm. And she said to him, what's the issue? He said to her, you know, I saw the most beautiful house with the most wonderful fields. You know, lovely, lovely uh, water, rivers, lakes. You know, what it was, he describes it in the most profound way. Wow, okay. And she says to him, well, did you seize it? He said, no, I approached the owner of the house and the owner of the house said to me that I don't want to sell. She said, so what did you do about it? He said, well, he doesn't want to sell. She said, then let's do something about it. Let me get him killed. Wow. So he said, so what do you mean, let me get him killed? She's like, you're the king of this land. You deserve everything. There is no way whatsoever that somebody should be living in this land and have the ability to say no to you. And you know, there are many dictators, many tyrannical figures in history that if they wanted to seize a particular area, they would just literally kick the family out of the house. Yeah. You look at, for example, the Ba'ath regime. Many people were kicked out of their houses overnight. They were seized. I like this house, get out. And if you dare to start asking me for a price, you're in trouble. Mm -hmm, yeah. So what this king is, is, is tempted by the, the, the queen that, you know what, let's kill it. But he's like, on which charge? You, know, you kill somebody, but what have they done wrong? Exactly. She said, we'll say that he left your religion. And because he has left the religion, then that person should be killed. They went back towards the house of this person. All of a sudden, they told the person, get out. He's like, what do you mean? I'm not selling the house. They're like, no, you are going to sell it. And they beheaded him there and then in front of his family. When this happened, Nabi Idris السلام, who was seen as one of the most peaceful personalities, respected, has a major test plus lesson to give us and part of the prophetic mission. When I see injustice, do I remain silent or do I speak? Speak. When I see this injustice take place, as a prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it may be a very small injustice. Mm -hmm. Moses sees the daughters of Shu'aib with no one helping them get water. Moses all of a sudden says, why is this the case? Because he sees some injustice. That men are all collecting water from a well. Why is this the case? But it could be a great injustice where one human being is killed. It's as if the whole of humanity has been killed. Mm -hmm. yeah. Nabi Idris alayhi salam goes up to that king. How dare you kill somebody innocently? Now, Nabi Idris could have easily continued to live his life without speaking. And there are in human history cases of people who when they saw zulm, Injustice remained silent. Yeah. After the Prophet died, peace be upon his family, before Karbala happened, in the time of the Umayyads and the Abbasids, so many examples of people who saw kings execute, behead, torture, massacre innocent people and remain silent. Mm -hmm. Nabi Idris السلام, was not going to remain silent. Went and had a stand against the king and his wife. Now the wife of the king, what did she say? She said, listen, we can get him killed. Same way we got the other guy killed. Yeah. I will destroy him. Nabi Idris said, I'll tell you something. You can come after me and try and kill me. Mm -hmm. I have the Lord with me. Subhanallah. And I don't need any helper. But I will also say something to you. There'll be a day that your wife will be eaten by the dogs of your own country. And there'll be a day because you have shed innocent blood. It's going to come back to haunt you and going to come back and haunt your people. The problem was there weren't many others who were there to help Nabi Idris when you speak out. Mm. 
you know, Imam al-Hussein when he speaks out against the tyrannical king of his time, Yazid, son of Muawiyah, Karbala ends up with what? 100 odd? Less, probably. Ends up with that many people who are able to stand alongside the son of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa against the tyrannical Yazid. Nabi Idris, how many does he have with him? 20. Wow. 20 only. Because you know, when people see zulm, when they see injustice, you'll find many will say, I don't want to get involved. Mm. It's better that I don't say anything. I haven't heard both sides of the story, which is a cop-out for them to not speak the truth because it affects their own interests. Yep. Oh, don't worry about the human being. The human being knows the difference between right and wrong. Mm -hmm. But the human looks for their masalih. Osama mm -hmm. bin Zayd met Imam al-Hussein many years after he was with Imam Ali and he said, I should have stood up for your dad when they fought him. Really? Osama, the one who was 18. Yeah, yeah, when, yeah. So what you have is that in this situation, Nabi Idris stood up. The king said, you know, we'll kill you. And his wife sent people to kill Nabi Idris His wife sent people. Nabi Idris left the town. While in a cave, he prayed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ya Allah, you know that I stood up against the injustice of that man. I mm -hmm. seek your protection. Because they used to send search parties one after another to go and kill him. Wow. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Idris, what do you want? He said, put a drought, no rain on these people. Because of their arrogance, they don't deserve a single blessing from you. They saw an innocent man and his wife and his kids beheaded for no reason. And none of them stood up. And know one thing, in society, when you do not stand up against injustice, Martin Luther King said it beautifully, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Mm -hmm. And at the end of time, we're not going to remember the words of our friends, but the silence of our, words of our enemies, but we're going to remember the silence of our friends. Many of our friends, when they see zulm, and they remain silent. Mm -hmm. See zulm around you. And zulm isn't just seeing zulm in countries. I may see zulm in a certain country in the, in the world today. I may see, for example, Yemeni kids dying. And it breaks my heart when I see these kids innocent dying. I may have seen kids die in Syria. and breaks my heart. I may have seen kids die. I may see Muslims in China. Nobody stands up for them. Yeah. It breaks my heart. I may see kids who are not Muslim but who are facing malnutrition or oppression because one diamond will make somebody's mortgage. I see this. Lot. But I also may see zulm in my own family. And I remain silent. It's not acceptable just because it's my family. Be maintainers of justice. Yep. Witnessing only to Allah. Allah caused no rain to come down on those people. Mm -hmm. And those people would come back and keep on trying to kill Nabi Idris. No rain would come, no rain would come until they realized, humble yourself. Yeah. Don't just say, oh, you know what, it's a shame what's happened. Mm -hmm. There should be a sincere Tawbah. And it was only after many years. Now look, there's even discussions in the world of Hadith. You could go to the world of Hadith and see discussions. There's discussions where Allah SWT asked Nabi Idris, shall I give them rain back? And Nabi Idris says, no. Okay. Allah says, Idris, we withheld food from you for a couple of days and you were hungry when the angels stopped bringing you food. Mm -hmm. And these people, he said, and it's at this moment that Idris said that, you know what, they're not humble. They're still arrogant in their ways. Mm -hmm. True repentance is that you will never do this act again. But I fear they will do this act again. Mm -hmm. There's this interesting going back and forth between Idris yeah, yeah, yeah. and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's a lovely Lovely going back and forth where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling him, are you sure? And it's as if Allah is saying, I'm testing your nubuwa here. Mm -hmm. Are you just going to give up? And he's like, no, 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 no. Let them sincerely repent to you. Mm -hmm. Until that community sincerely repents. And when that community sincerely repents, they begin to take from the blessings of Nabi Idris alayhi salam. Now, some people say that when the Quran says, uh, some say that he was given a lofty status in the eyes of the people. Others yes. say no, that in that period, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in honor of his 
humbleness and his standing and his injustice, Allah raised him to the heavens. Okay. So there is a difference of opinion that emerges as to whether Nabi Idris السلام, is still alive until today or he's not alive. Mm -hmm. Some ulama of some schools in Islam say that Nabi Idris is one of the NBA who's still alive today. Okay. Others say that no, he was given a high position and he may have been taken to the heavens for a short period, mm -hmm. but that not necessarily meaning that he's still alive. I, I want to focus on that back and forth that you said, you know, mm. that beautiful back and forth between Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Prophet Idris alayhi salam. Does that not indicate or highlight to us that, you know, the prophets of God are still maturing and developing through their prophethood? Yeah, I think, I think one thing Muslims don't want to accept is that although a prophet of Allah is this lofty example for mankind chosen by God to guide us to perfection while we are imperfect they themselves are also developing mm. they're not all on the same level when the Quran says yeah. that we have given you know exalted some above others Idris is not Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa of course not, no. He is still developing at a very high spiritual level, but still there's a back and forth between him and God. Mm. I'll give them rain again. Don't give them rain. Are you sure? I'm sure. But you complained for a few days when bread wasn't coming to you. You went to a house of a lady and begged her for some bread mm. because you needed that bread. And you're willing to see my creation go through a period of a drought. So there's these wonderful, and we continue with the story later on when we go to Nabi Ayyub, Nuh. There's moments where they open up to themselves. They're trying to, it's a very difficult time for them, you know. So I think these types of discussions relate to us. Sometimes we want things to happen for our lives, but we don't accept it for others. We say, Ya Allah, let this happen to me, but don't let it happen to them. Uh, yeah. But you want something from me, why don't you want it from my creation? There's this antagonizing, mm. you know, back and forth with Allah subhanahu yeah. wa ta'ala. Yeah. Now, I want to bring it back to our yesterday's discussion. We said, as I'm sure the dear, dear viewers will remember, we said that Prophet Sheikh alayhi salam had 50 scriptures sent down to him. Now, was Idris given scriptures? Yeah, Ib so Idris alayhi salam. Well, the, I think the... Uh, Ethiopian Jewish community still believe in the book of Enoch. Okay. Um, the Falasha Jews. Um, and in traditions from the Ahlul Bayt, we believe that 30 uh, tablets were sent to Nabi Idris alayhi salam. So Perfect. Nabi Sheith had 50, Nabi Idris had 30. Perfect. And these were guidance that were given to his community, um, precepts and commands for them to follow until Nabi Nuh alayhi salam arrives. Yeah. Now, mentioning the ayah in the Qur'an, chapter 19, verse 157. 57, yeah. 57, sorry. Yep. And we raised him uh, to a lofty position. Now, can this be applied to Imam al-Mahdi, ajallallahu ta'ala, farajuhu sharif yeah, well, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for those who believe that Nabi Idris is still alive, mm. and they believe that there are other prophets who we will come to later on, they say that they are all still alive. So what's there to deny about Imam al-Mahdi being alive? You know, there are certain Muslims out there who say that, you know, these Shia believe in the Mahdi, and the Mahdi is supposedly hiding in the... Cellar in a basement in Samarra and so on. None of us believe he's hiding in a basement. But I find it surprising when I hear that there are Muslims who say that, you know, how could you believe in somebody you can't see? Firstly, the Quran says, You know, secondly, we find that there are prophets who Muslims believe, such as Jesus, السلام, such as Idris, السلام, such as Khidr, and such are others who they believe that these were prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, sometimes you hear Idris is compared to Elias, Idris mm -hmm. and Elijah, Idris and Khidr. Yeah. What they all seem to have in common is that God may have given them a longer life or they're alive until today. 
So if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can set up conditions and he can do anything he wants in the world of kun fayakun, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can therefore allow Imam al-Mahdi ajallahu wa sharif to live until today. Mm -hmm. Now, Imam al-Mahdi ajallahu wa sharif, if he's alive today, he would be 1,100 years old, correct? Correct. Some people said Idris, others said Jesus. I'll give you an example of somebody who is still alive who's older than all of them. Iblis. True. Very Iblis true. is still alive. Yep. Iblis is older than Idris. Iblis is older than Khidr. Iblis is older than Isa. Iblis is older than Imam al-Mahdi. So if you believe that Iblis is a creation of Allah who we cannot see but is still alive. So what's your issue with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keeping alive the grandson of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We're going to take a few questions from WhatsApp. Sure. Um, this question, Salam, uh, Dr. Sayyid Amman Nakhshawani, Salam, Brother Minhal. Um, how many daughters did the Prophet, Prophet Idris have? Haven't got a clue. Haven't got a clue? No, no, no. Okay. Uh, next question from Ahmed Al-Isa from Melbourne. He says, Salam Alaikum Sayyid. Could Prophet Idris and Al-Khidr be the same figure? Because I've heard something like that. I've heard... Um People who look at the similarity between, you know, Enoch and Elijah, Idris mm -hmm. and Elias. I haven't seen many similarities, barring one reference I remember between Idris and Khidr. Suffice that there may be a similarity in terms of them being in a period of an occultation um, or being raised to the heavens. Now, people ask the question, therefore, did Idris die or did Idris not die? And we do have a clear narration that says that uh, there was an angel who asked for intercession from Nabi Idris alayhi salam that he returns back into the lofty status with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nabi Idris intercedes for him, but then Nabi Idris says to him that I want to ask you for something. Allow me to meet the angel of death. Mm. And so there is an opinion there that Nabi Idris alayhi salam in, his, in, in that particular questioning eventually mean, meets Israel. And Israel was also wondering how exactly am I going to take the soul of Nabi Idris alayhi salam. Mm -hmm. So there may be a similarity there. Um, in the book of Kings as well, there's a story about um, a man going to a house just searching for bread while starving. And that's similar to the story of Idris alayhi salam. So there are similarities with other prophets for sure. Okay, ahsantum. Um, salam Hajira from Luton. My question is, we see the Prophet's careers, some carpenters, some shepherds. How did Prophet Idris السلام, become a tailor? Did he choose this career or was it from God? This is all um, the knowledge that Prophets begin to teach mankind so that we cultivate a society based on learning mm -hmm. and the love of wisdom. Um, and of the utmost importance is, of course, uh, the areas of knowledge in terms of our clothing, in terms of our chastity and our modesty. So this was part of his mission. Oh, awesome. uh, Salam from Norway. What language did Prophet Adam السلام, and his family السلام, speak? We're going to be coming to these discussions when we come to Nabi Nuh السلام, to see the development of the languages in that period. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Tomorrow... Inshallah, we're looking at who? The great grandson of Prophet Idris alayhi salam, Prophet Nuh alayhi salam, inshallah, tomorrow. Dear respected brothers and sisters, respected viewers, tune in for that episode, and inshallah, we'll see you tomorrow with live in London with Dr. Sayyid Aman Naqshawani. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We encourage you to look at our audio library for more content on Quran ethics, lifestyle and spirituality. Imam Hussain TV3, your gateway to Karbala.